The reading is from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who, is, who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Mary's song. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He, is, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remember, his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he's promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Now, at the Gate Church, we say that we're all about helping people love Jesus more and more. That's what we want this morning, that as a result of being here today, we'd go away and we would, in a sense, love Jesus more through being here. You could say, and we've sang it, we sang it together already, that we, we come together uh, in church to glorify God together, to, to worship him and to encourage one another in and toward that. So when our, when our three friends get baptized later on, what they're not saying is, hey, I'm good, I'm great, I've got it all together, I, I'm a kind of good religious type of person, but they're saying, no, Jesus is great and he has done great things for me. We're a church that wants to help people to love Jesus more and more. Now, you might be here this morning, you might think, well, that's not where I'm at in my life at the moment, actually. That, I don't know if I'm interested in that, or, or maybe I'm interested, but I don't know what that means or what that looks like. Maybe you've heard about him, but you're not yet ready to throw your lot on with him. And all we've got to invite you to is to the worship of Jesus as God. Make him the center of your life. That's what we want to invite you into. And that's what our Bible reading uh, this morning basically does. It's a great example of people praising and magnifying God together and encouraging one another in that. If you could keep it open, it'd be great. It's page 1026, 1026 in these red Bibles, Luke chapter 1, uh, 39 to 56. And Luke is writing the story of Jesus' life. He's a Greek, uh, Luke is a Greek doctor, and he's writing the story of Jesus' life. And here we are, quite near the beginning of the story, before Jesus' birth even, uh, with his expectant mum, Mary, uh, and her elderly res- relative, Elizabeth, who is also expecting uh, a baby in her old age, uh, and he's going to be known as John. When he's, uh, when he's born. These birth stories of Jesus and John are kind of being creatively intertwined by Luke, and they come together here. See, Mary, we saw last week, has just got news, this surprising news of uh, the fact that um, she's got this miraculous virgin pregnancy. Uh, and at the same time, she heard of Elizabeth's amazing news that in her old age, when she's far beyond childbearing years, Elizabeth is pregnant. And so straight away, Mary heads off down south to visit Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah. And they meet to share and delight in this wonderful baby news together, like you do when you've got good news to share like that. You, you share it with, fans, uh, with, with, with family and friends. But more than that, we see that they delight in the work of God together. Who God is, what he's done, 
and what he's now doing. Uh, and as they meet, basically, they're so, they're so happy, they're so overjoyed that they just they break out into song together. And, and that's what happens here. Mary and Elizabeth spend three months together. Mary leaves Elizabeth just before John the Baptist is born. And all we've got recorded from these three months are these two songs that Mary and Elizabeth sing in praise and worship of God. Well, what happens is like they come together and they kind of, they encourage one another, they egg one another on in, uh, to praise and glorify God, to revel in who God is and, and the good things he has done, to encourage one another to stay faithful to him. They're echoing the call and response that we read elsewhere in the Bible is going on in heaven even now with these, uh, with these kind of heavenly beings calling out of God's glory and his, holy and his, uh, his holiness and his greatness, echoing, calling and responding to one another. And that's what Elizabeth and Mary do here. And so these songs help us as we gather together this morning to glorify God together, to encourage each other in who he is and what he's doing. Some of us arrive here this morning bursting with joy and excitement and maybe some nerves, but we're excited about what God is doing and what we get to celebrate, and and we're thankful. Others arrive a little bit more weary and dry and bruised by life under the sun and struggling for faith. Others arrive with no faith or maybe wishing we could have it or maybe no interest whatsoever. The invitation is the same for us all. The opportunity today and the moment is the same for us all. Maybe for the first time it's to come and glorify the Lord together. Exalt in his name. Take it, and we're going to take these, uh, these two songs in turn as, as we learn from, from these godly women about how to do that. So um, in, in verse 39, Mary arrives and she greets uh, Elizabeth, and, and as she does that, both Elizabeth, we read, and her unborn child get quite an experience. The baby leaps for, for joy in her womb, and you kind of think, well, that's maybe just like a kick from a baby, but we read something else is going on. Uh, Elizabeth and John the Baptist are filled with the Holy Spirit at this point. Now, this has been promised to, to John's dad. Uh, we saw it a few weeks ago that he'd be filled with the Holy Spirit even before this baby is born. And this is the moment it happens. You see, as the Son of God, as Jesus comes near, even as a tiny little embryo, just a little clump of cells in Mary's womb, as he comes near to Elizabeth and John the Baptist, what happens? He brings the Spirit of God. And they receive the presence of God and the power of God and the joy of the light, uh, the, the joy of the Lord. When, when it says... Um, the baby leapt with joy. It means he exalted. And, and Luke is very clear. He says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And he loves this phrase. You read Luke, he says it a lot. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And every time Luke records someone being filled with the Holy Spirit, they immediately go on afterwards to either speak the word of God or do the works of God in some way. So the Spirit of God comes and it leads people to, to go and do the work of God, drawing people into the worship of God. So that's what exactly Elizabeth does. She breaks out in a song of praise. She exclaims in a loud voice, it says. And, and it doesn't look like it, because it's not printed maybe in the Bible in a way we can see. But in verse 42, Elizabeth starts this song that runs through to verse 45. And this song of Elizabeth riffs on the, on the blessed state that Mary finds herself in. Three times Elizabeth says, Mary, you are blessed You are blessed, you are blessed. Mary is the most blessed of women, for she is the mother of my Lord. Do you hear that? She is the mother of my Lord. Jesus, at this point, just that kind of little clump of cells, the unborn baby in in Mary's womb, and Elizabeth says, he's my Lord, and this is his mother. 
she carries my Lord's. Lord is, is one who reigns over my life, one who I submit myself to, who, in whom I, I place my hopes, the source of my joy. And Elizabeth confesses by faith, he is my Lord. She had heard from Mary all about what Gabriel had said to her, and, and, and Elizabeth had believed it, and she had made it her own. This is my Lord. There's no jealousy. There's no pretense here with her. Oh, Mary, you get to be the, you get to be the man of God. I just get to be, you know, John the Baptist. No, she, this is my Lord. There's faith and there's joy and there's delight. And she shares in that with Mary. Now, Elizabeth's song uh, kind of culminates in in verse 45. And I think this is the the main theme of it. She says, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Blessed are you, Mary, for you have believed that uh, the Lord would fulfill his promises to you. Blessed is Mary who has believed uh, God's word of promise, who has faith that God will indeed do what he has said he would do. And while it hasn't been done yet, she believes it is going to happen. Uh, Another way of saying this is, is, blessed is she who has believed, for the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. Mary is blessed not so much because she believed, but because God will fulfill Because he will do what he has said he will do. He will do his promises. And so it is a blessing to believe in the promises of God because they are certain. They are certain in Christ. It's not this blind, unthinking belief that is blessed, but it is a belief that calculates that God is good for his word. God will do what he says. He will fulfill his promises. However unlikely it seems to me, however distant it feels in my life right now, the promises of his word are true. So listen, we are blessed. We are blessed when we believe the word of God. It's popular to doubt the word of God, but it is a blessing to believe the word of God, that God is going to do what he says he's going to do, that he will fulfill his promises to us. If faith is a battle for you this morning, which I know it will be for some of us, why don't you let yourself be encouraged by the stories and the witness of Kasha and, and Sarah and Desencia as they get baptized? Elizabeth inspired and encouraged Mary um, and, and evoked in her response of faith uh, in God and to delight in, in him. So why don't we be inspired and encouraged and spurred on by delighting in the work of God in these women's lives? It's a chance this morning for what God has done in their lives and and what we hear and see God doing to stir up joy and excitement and faith in us, to spur us on and encourage us in our faith where maybe we just got a little bit stale or a little bit dry or a little bit weary. To know that he who promised is faithful and that we are blessed when we rely on him. Now, those who believe in the Lord, who believe that God, uh, the word of God and what he says he will do, who have faith in it, Do you know what they do? They make much of God. They delight in him. They rejoice in him. They sing of his greatness and love. They can't help it. It just kind of spills over out of their heart and their lives. And and so it seems that Mary has been inspired by Elizabeth. And so she breaks out in song in verse 46. And this is a very famous and much-loved song through the ages. It's called the Magnificat. And Mary starts in verse 46 as she raises her voice. My soul glorifies Or you could say, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. 
Mary exalts in, she delights in the greatness and the beauty and the splendor of God. When you magnify something, you don't make it any bigger. You don't change its nature in any way. Magnifying is about changing your perspective on the thing. The thing doesn't change at all. So a magnifying glass, what it helps you do is it helps you see something in more detail. It helps you see the true nature of it. See, the problem as to why you can't do that is your natural eye is too weak. It can't see clearly enough. It can't see with enough detail and precision. And so when it's magnified, you see it as it really and truly is. Magnifying God is not making him bigger. It's not making him better. It's not making more of him that can be made of him or making him greater than he is. It's not changing God's nature in any way. Magnifying God is seeing him more truly as he is. It's seeing with, with that clarity, that 2020 vision, that, that perspective more really, more closely as he is. And, and as the Lord is magnified, as he's seen for who he is, then his true beauty is beheld. His reality is seen and, and it's focused on. And we see with new clarity and, and it brings new de- uh, depths of delight to the soul. And so, so Mary's song magnifies the Lord. She sees clearly who God is, and, 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 and it leads her to rejoice. And the first thing that we notice she does that is that when you see God rightly, and you see how great and wonderful and beautiful he is, then you see yourself in proper proportion in relationship to him. And maybe for the first time. Have you ever stood in front of a beautiful view? You know, you're, I don't know if you've ever made it to the top of a beautiful mountain or a massive hill or or you've just been in kind of um, under a, a great uh, night sky full of stars, and you just felt small, and it just humbles you, and it just grounds you, right? Well, that's this going on here. So too, when you realize the tiniest uh, bit more about how great God is, and how beautiful and wonderful he is, you're humbled. There's a sense in which you just feel small, and you're grounded, In the face of such greatness, that is an appropriate and entirely good response. And so as Mary realized that she herself is humble before God, she, she doesn't think she's deserving of worship or to be prayed to or, or whatever else. No, you see verse 47, she confesses God as her saviour, God as her rescuer. She knows along with all of us that she needs saving by God. Safe from what? Well, her sins, just like us. She knows her sins are great, but God's mercy is greater still, and she looks to God to save. Now, now as Mary sees God as he is, and then has this sense of the kind of humbling of self, listen, the reason she doesn't get um, kind of totally overwhelmed by that and, and despair and kind of go into self-loathing and self-hatred like we might sometimes tend to do is because what she says in verse 48, God has been mindful of her humble state. God is my saviour. Now, God has been mindful of her. That means he's, he's paid attention to, he's looked upon, he's looked upon with compassion and care. You see, this is the unique grace that a Christian has. It's a unique experience. When we experience the grace and the mercy of God, that we can acknowledge our humble state, we can acknowledge our failings and our weaknesses and even our sins our lowness, our need of saving, and yet we can be secure and we can have peace and we can even have joy. It doesn't lead us into self-loathing and self-hatred and, and completely just unraveling. No, God has been mindful of us. God has, God has looked upon with love and compassion. He's paid attention to our plight. 
He's looked upon us favorably in our lowliness, and he's taken time to notice, and he's acted to save. And so, yeah, you can be humble, but yeah, you can be secure and at peace and with joy. Now, this is the spiritual clarity that some of us need this morning, to see God's greatness, and so to be brought low in how we think of ourselves, to be humbled, that we would then call out to him to save us as our only hope. That's the front door to the Christian life. It's the only way in. It's the only way in. But Jesus turns away none who come to him with that kind of humble faith. And that's what Mary sees of herself. Now, what, what is it that she sees of God? Well, she just goes on in her song. He, she says, he is the mighty one, the one uh, who, in whom all things are possible in and through. He is the holy one. He has the perfect character, pure in every way. He is full of mercy to those who fear him from generation to generation. Uh, and we see his mercy in his uh, mighty deeds that he performs with his arm. And so then she gets on to the work and the, from the, the nature and the character of God to the work of God and, and what are his mighty deeds that he performs uh, out of his power and his uh, holiness and his mercy. How does God put his greatness on display in the world? How does he, if, if you like, show off and show us how great he is? Well, he humbles the proud and he raises up the lowly. It's just what God loves to do. And so God's word elsewhere says to us, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. That's why Mary's example of humility here is so important for us. Because it is the humble who in the end are lifted up. It is the spiritually hungry who, who end up being filled with good things. It is those who fear God and that means really respect God that his mercy extends to And it's those who realize and are glad about being servants of God that he, in the end, helps. But on the other hand, those who are proud in their inmost thoughts, they'll be scattered, Mary sings. The, The rulers will be brought down. The rich will be sent away empty with nothing. These are those who are proud in themselves and relying on riches and wealth and power and success and things for their, their fullness in life and, 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 and that's kind of everything to them. This is a revolutionary song, isn't it? The good news of the Bible is God doesn't work in the way that the world works and the way society works and the way things around us work according to these systems and these values where the powerful, the rich, the educated, the great and the good, they get ahead and they get it all in life and that's where blessing and life is found. No, that is not how God works. In Jesus, God delights to bless and to fill and to lift up and to build his kingdom with those who are on the outside and those who are left behind and those no one has any time for. Those who will humble themselves before him. That's how God chooses to show his power and his greatness. That's how God is showing his power and his greatness to us today. So if you aren't broken... If you aren't humbled, then you you can't and you won't come to Jesus. If you've never reached the end of yourself, if you've never, ever been truly humbled, never confronted by your own sin and failings, never realized I'm spiritually empty, I've got nothing to bring and nothing to give, that you cry out for God's mercy and grace to fill you up, then quite frankly, what we say and do here is not going to make sense. It's 
You'll never get what we talk about. You'll never get Jesus because you're so full of yourself and what you can achieve in life and what life can mean to you and your riches and successes or whatever it is. That You never humbly ask God to fill you. And if you never come in faith like that, then you never experience the blessing that Mary experienced and the life revolution that these women sing about, that so many people in this room have experienced. Now, the, now the final thing that, that Mary celebrates in her song is that all this, uh, all this is, to, is to deliver on and to fulfill God's promises to his people. Verses 54 and 55. God is remembering to be merciful to those he said that he'd be merciful to. You see, Mary is rejoicing in what God said to her and what he's doing in the moment and what he's doing in her life. And, and that's a big thing for her. But she's also fully aware of what God has done in the past, in the lives of his people. She's familiar with the word of God and with the promises of God, with the stories of the saints of old who have walked the path of, uh, the path of faith before her. And so whilst it's a present reality for her, it's also something that she knows that God has done in the past. And so it gives her confidence for what he's going to do in her present and in the future. In fact, her confidence is such, do you you hear this, that the whole song is in the past tense as if it's already happened. He has done great things. He has performed mighty deeds. He has brought down and lifted up. He has filled. He has helped. Nine times she says, he has, he has, he has. In reality, it's all about what God is about to do in and through Jesus, this this little baby boy that she's carrying at this point. But she knows her history and she sees with confident faith that God will fulfill his promises and so she experiences the blessing of believing that here and now whilst it's as yet undone and so Elizabeth and Mary what they do is they come together and they encourage each other in songs that dwell on God's nature and his word and his faithfulness and as they sing to each other these great realities, they kind of just marinate into their hearts and into their souls and bring new joy and new life. And given the situation, if you think what Mary's facing at this point is still a really perilous situation for her, but it brings perspective and it brings strength to go forward another day in faith, whatever the path. And that's what happens here, here in Luke 1. I just want to draw out one main idea from this text. And then just show you how in different situations, a lot of different situations, it might shape our lives and what it might look like for us. Elizabeth and Mary are a model for us of deep Christian fellowship that overflows with joy and life and brings glory to God and encourages each other along in faith through thick and thin. They're a really good example to us of Christian friendship and relationship. Psalm 34 says this to us, Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt in his name together. That's what Mary and Elizabeth do. They come together and they glorify God and exalt in him together. And that's what we're to do in the Christian life. It's so important for our spiritual health and vitality to help each other see and remember the greatness of our God, the great things he has done, the great things he is doing. Listen, there is so much in life to get us down, isn't there? Spiritually speaking, there's so many hardships, there's so many discouragements and trials along the way, and they are real, and they can wear us down, and they can make us become grumpy and bitter and cynical, spiritually speaking. But we are given to each other to help each other, not to become like that. To remember and celebrate the goodness and the faithfulness of God with thanks. 
Psalm 34 goes on from saying, glorify the Lord of me, exalt in his name together. In verse 8 it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Mary echoes that, or Elizabeth echoes that. Blessed is the one who, who puts their faith in him, who believes in him. As we glorify the Lord together, we taste and we see that the Lord is good. And we enjoy the blessing of hiding ourselves in him by faith. That is what church is all about. It's a community of of those who magnify and glorify God together. A community of people who exalt his name, who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And we're going to remind each other of one of that and and experience and, and remember that together. So if, if that's the big idea, if that's the big point that we learn from this text, then how can, how can that shape, how can that color how we relate in our individual relationships with others in church? How, how, does, that, how does that affect the tone of your cell group discussions? Do you spend time calling out when you're hanging out with people and encouraging others in what you see God doing in their lives, reminding people who may have forgotten about the promises and, and the faithfulness of God? What about in your own households? Your own family unit, your own home, is it a priority there that your kids, we've got the generations theme in this song, do you see that? That your kids will know about God and his work down the generations. That your kids will know both, both the work of God in his word, in the lives of people in his word, but also in the lives of people around you. That you're calling out, do you see what God's doing in this situation, in that situation, in that person? Do you invite your kids in your home to come and glorify God with you? Come and worship with us kids. Come into the worship of God. What about in our gospel families? You could say this is what our gospel families are all about. Come, let's glorify God together. Let's exalt in him. Let's remember and encourage one another of the great things he has done and is doing. Let's share stories of his faithfulness and his goodness. So, so faith may be built. We might have strength to go on another day and another week. Listen, if you're not connected or you're just really loosely connected to a gospel family, you're not committed to really meeting and being there, then let me say you are missing out big time. And your gospel family is missing out big time by you not being present. You're depriving them of this encouragement. Now, a Christian may survive, but they will in no way thrive without a regular and deep Christian fellowship centered on the person and the work of Jesus. You might survive, but you're not going to thrive in your Christian life. Just rocking up to a weekly Sunday gathering most weeks is not enough for a a, a flourishing spiritual life, as important as it is. Gospel families is where we fellowship like Elizabeth and Mary. It's where we taste and see together that the Lord is good. And blessed is the person who hides themselves in him. Most weeks I need to be reminded of that and I need to be encouraged in that again by the guys in my gospel family. So let Elizabeth and Mary shape your experience and your expectations and your commitment of what gospel family can be. And maybe you guys, if you don't do it yet in your group, can start singing together of God's goodness and his greatness. It's also what we gather, uh, what we do together as we gather as a church on Sundays, like this. As we sing, as we pray, as we read, as we, as we listen, as we talk, as we share, as we're just present with each other in body and in spirit in this room, as the people of God, we praise and we magnify Jesus together and we encourage one another on in faith. Now, it really matters, guys, how we engage with that. It really matters. Particularly maybe in light of this, our singing and how we sing together. 
Elizabeth and Mary's fellowship is, is, is uh, uh, an encouragement, is deepened by singing together. The, the New Testament teaches us that our songs, when we come to sing together, we praise God, yes, but we also sing to encourage one another uh, and spur one another on in, in faith. So it matters that you participate as we sing. It matters that you commit yourself to singing God together with us and that we're engaged in that and so that through that we might spur one another on in our faith. It matters that we commit ourselves not only to knowing God more deeply, as as Mary clearly does here, but also to allowing that to shape our hearts and our affections and our expression and an overflow in our worship and praise. And never pitting those two things against each other. God is building us into a people who declare his praises together. And here's the final kind of area. You see, I've kind of been like um, getting bigger going out. One of those circles that goes out, I don't know, you know. Um, but not down, but up. <laughs> it's, it's a good one of those. Uh, finally, this shapes our attitude to our outreach, to our local community. We think of the community around us, to our city, to our country, and even to the world. There's a pastor uh, from America who says, uh, John Piper says, mission exists because worship doesn't. Is because people in the world around us, people in the community around us, do not see, do not recognize the glory and the beauty and the greatness and the wonder and the awe of God. It's because their eyes of their heart are darkened and dim and they're blind to it. So they don't live for God's glory and they don't sing of it and they don't acknowledge it and they don't delight in it. And it means very little to them because they live their lives for other glories and other things that are at the center of, of, of their lives. And they, they, they built this purpose and value in these other things. It's the failure of all humanity, actually, uh, ultimately, deep in our soul and our lives, to not worship the God who made us and loves us and is the center of all things, but to worship other things. And so because that's the problem, that's the fundamental problem of humanity, they're not God's plan is. He sends us, he places us, he plants us as people, as a church, in this community, in this city, to say to people, come join us and glorify God's. Come and exult in the Lord with us together. Come and worship God with us. You see, as we gather on a Sunday like this, and maybe in our friendships and in gospel and stuff, as we gather around the purpose of glorifying and worshipping God, then we are a witness. We're what you would call a shining light to the goodness and the glory of God. And we invite people, come and join us. Come and worship the God who made you and loves you and who forgives you and promises that he has life to fall for you in Jesus. And this is why our city needs hundreds of new churches started all over it. And particularly the poorer and the more deprived areas of our city, where there's just no churches among thousands and thousands of people, no churches that are glorifying and exalting God like this in a place that people can actually access it and reach it. They have to travel miles across the city and across different cultures to get there. It's why there is an urgent need that worshippers would go out and take that invitation and, uh, and that, that compelling case in and through the local church to come worship God and to call people to step into the worship of God together. It's why we need to raise up and send out people to go across the world to nations where there's even less Christians than there are here to take the invite to come and worship the glory of the God who made you. It's the glory of God that compels us. As yet, as of today, God's glory isn't seen by everyone. It isn't acknowledged. 
It's defamed, it's defaced, it's turned away from, it's ignored. That's hard, isn't it? It's hard for those who worship God. The promise of God's word is that one day it will be seen and known and acknowledged by everyone. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. All will see, all will know, all will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and he is glorious. Until that day, we're the people who in faith get to call it out now. We get to exalt and glorify in God together. and We get to taste and see that God is good. And blessed are we who find ourselves in him. Let's pray together. Lord, your glory and your, your majesty is above and beyond us. In, in one sense, we, we can't see, even those of us who do know how great, uh, or, or do say that you're great and wonderful and beautiful, we don't know truly how great you are and how glorious you are. Our hearts are still kind of partially blinded. Our, our, our spiritual vision is still coming round and trying to see, Lord, would you, would you show us more clearly and would we see, but would we also declare and proclaim? Lord, even just now as we're going to sing together, would you be glorified and and would we exalt in your name together? Even in these baptisms, would it be a a witness and example of how great you are? And Lord, would we uh, overflow in our hearts and in our mouths and in in our song and in, in our lives with just joy and delight at these things? For you, God, are good and your mercy endures forever. We praise you and we worship you now. Amen.